Hello, welcome to Talking in Vain, a podcast of the Infusion Nurses Society. I'm Dawn Berendt, the Infusion Nurse Educator for the INS, and I will be today's host. Today we're talking about the nurse's impact on the management of influenza. Our guest is Dr. Emily Cannon. Dr. Cannon is an associate professor and the director of the Accelerated Nursing Program at the Baccalaureate Nursing Program for Indiana State University. Dr. Cannon has worked for Union Hospital in Terre Haute, Indiana as an infection control practitioner, and prior to that, she worked as a medical surgical float nurse. From 2003 to 2012, she served as a nursing faculty member at Ivy Tech Community College. Emily earned her Associate of Science in Nursing degree from Vincent's University, a Bachelor of Science in Nursing, and a Master's in Nursing from Indiana Wesleyan University, and a Doctorate of Nursing Practice from Indiana State University. Emily's interests include teaching, infection prevention and treatment, emergency nursing issues, and community health. She enjoys spending time with her family, running, and is an advocate for children, the elderly, and animals. Emily, thank you for being our guest today on Talking in Vain. Emily, we're so excited to have you with us today. You have a great background in this area, and let's get started by having you give us a little background on influenza. Why is this always a topic of discussion this time of year? Well, influenza is a virus, and it affects the respiratory tract. It is frequently referred to as the flu. It can cause you know, somewhere between a mild to very severe illness. Um, in the United States, our flu season is beginning right now and can last all the way into May. But most commonly, we end around March. The season typically peaks in late November and ends, you know, like we said, in March. Um, children and elderly and pregnant women and people with chronic conditions, healthcare workers, they are really encouraged to get vaccinated each year. So this is something that's only, that vaccination is something that's only going to last for one year. Mm-hmm. We can transmit the virus to other people by coughing and sneezing. We know that airborne particles can be inhaled by other people and then infect them. We can also spread it by touching contaminated surfaces or um, another infected person and then touching your mucous membranes like your nose, your mouth, your eyes. Um, the virus spreads easily in areas where people are in close contact with other people. So that means that prisons and daycares and healthcare facilities are very um, high-risk areas for transmitting this virus around. Okay. So remind us again about the typical symptoms that are associated with influenza. Sure. So we start to suspect the flu when a person abruptly develops a fever, and the key word there is abruptly. Uh, Commonly, that fever is going to go pretty high. So we're looking 101, 102, not something like low grade where we think about, you know, maybe in a, a viral rhinitis or something like that, or pharyngitis. So, and it is really respiratory. This is not something that is going to impact your gastrointestinal system commonly. Um, this, these are things that cause like headache and chills and muscle aches and malaise and sore throats and a non-productive cough and again rhinitis. Um, Lungs are typically real clear um, unless that person has developed pneumonia or they also have a chronic respiratory disorder like COPD. Mm -hmm. 
In addition to those other symptoms, kids can also get anorexia, so they're just not very hungry, and they may have vomiting and diarrhea. Um, Flu typically lasts for two to five days, but even after those symptoms go away, people still feel very tired. And flu patients benefit from fluids, antipyretics to help bring down their fever, pain relievers like those NSAIDs. We can spread the flu to other people 24 hours before we even have any symptoms. Now, that is important. And for me, um, that piece of information tells me the real significance in healthcare workers getting that vaccination because if it can be prevented, then we don't have that 24-hour period where we're contaminating our environment and the people that we touch. So tell us, how is influenza diagnosed? We can make that diagnosis of flu by assessing the patient, and commonly people will come to their healthcare provider and they say, wow, it sounds like you really have the flu. But we can also use a rapid influenza diagnostic test. Um, it detects the presence of viral antigen pieces. It takes about 10 to 15 minutes to get a result back, but it's not incredibly sensitive. So a person may test negative mm. with this viral antigen um, diagnostic test, but they may still have the flu. So it's really important that we're looking at, you know, we're really looking at that patient. So a person may test negative, but still have the flu. Okay, okay. So we understand, and we've heard stories, we may have experienced this ourselves, but sometimes influenza can bring about complications that make the illness even more serious for some individuals. Can you tell us about those complications? Sure. The Centers for Disease Control, or CDC, they indicate that the most serious complications related to the flu are pneumonia, myositis, encephalitis, myocarditis, sepsis, kidney, and respiratory failure. High-risk groups who are developing these types of complications can have an increase in their mortality rate. So the flu can make people um, with chronic conditions worse as well. If a person with the flu doesn't feel better after five days or if they suffer from those chronic health conditions, especially those uh, cardiac or respiratory types of disorders, they should call their health care provider. Also, if a person cannot breathe or they develop a new onset of confusion, they should be brought to the emergency department. And in children, we should watch for things like dehydration, lethargy, and tachypnea, so quick breathing rate. Okay. Thank you. Okay, very good. We have, you have just given us such a, a nice background Uh, regarding influenza. So let's switch over now and start focusing on prevention. Let's talk about the influenza vaccine, first of all, and why it is important in relationship to our patients. Well, as nurses, we spend a lot of time interacting with sick people, and the CDC recommends that all healthcare workers get a flu vaccination or a flu shot. It is a, a serious disease, and it can lead to hospitalization and death. Um, even healthy people can get very sick. As a reminder, you can spread that flu before you even know it. So getting a flu vaccine can protect your patients and your coworkers and even your own family. Um, unfortunately, it takes about two weeks after you get vaccinated for those antibodies to develop in your body and protect you against the influenza virus. So it is recommended that you get vaccinated by the end of October, which is coming up in a hurry here. 
Yes. If you re- <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you receive the flu shot and you still get sick with the flu, the CDC is indicating that your risk of serious flu outcomes is is reduced. So in our local hospital last year, the people who ended up in our intensive care unit with complications from the flu, even you know previously healthy people in their 30s and 40s and 50s, um, these were people that had not received the flu vaccine. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And in your organization must track those types of things and uh, yes. is, is uh, contributing to the pool of understanding. The vaccine is one way of preventing influenza. What are some other prevention tactics? Sure. So in addition to the flu vaccine or flu shot, there are some other really simple ways we can prevent the transmission of flu. Um, of course, and nurses are probably so sick of hearing about this, but hand washing is the very best way to prevent exposure to infectious microorganisms. And as a reminder, I know you guys know this, but we should wash our hands for 15 seconds, and we should use warm water, and we should use soap, and we're thoroughly rubbing our hands together when we wash our hands. Um, we need to clean our hands each time we cough into them or sneeze. We should also wash our hands before meals. Alcohol-based hand sanitizers are also okay to use in place of hand washing when you can't make it to a sink. Covering your mouth and your nose when you cough or sneeze with a disposable tissue or sneeze or cough into your arm to prevent that spread of infection. So that's another thing that may be recommended. Um, We should avoid crowded public areas so we can avoid close contact with other people during the flu season. If a person with signs and symptoms associated with flu um, does need to come to a healthcare agency for care. As nurses, we should apply a regular surgical or procedure type mask to his or her face, and we should also wear personal protective equipment when we're caring for these people. We can also bu- boost our immunity to protect ourselves. We can stay hydrated, we can eat nourishing food, we can exercise, and make sure we get enough rest. Okay, that was a very comprehensive response to my question. Thank you. Thank you. Uh-huh. You're welcome. Our patients are often vulnerable due to illness or disease state. How can we protect them when they come into our healthcare settings? We need to make sure we communicate with our patients, uh, potential visitors, that if they are sick or they think they may have been exposed to the flu, they should really stay home. We need to encourage our, our visitors to wash their hands well, or to use those alcohol-based sanitizers. Most people who develop the flu don't need to do anything other than you know, get enough fluid and rest, and they will not need to come to the emergency department for treatment. Okay, okay. So, Emily, if you were able to tell nurses one thing about their role that you believe is most important, what would that one thing be? I think we need to talk to people about the flu shot. So just last week, my students and I were invited to give flu shots to the hospital employees, one of our local hospitals. Um, There are actually still some healthcare workers who think that the flu shot will cause them to get the flu. And the flu vaccine is made by inactivating or killing flu viruses, and we are giving the flu shot to create an immune response in the person receiving the shot. So some people... um, noted in the past that they developed the flu a few days after receiving a shot. And unfortunately, again, it takes two weeks to develop immunity to the flu after the vaccination. 
So they probably were exposed to the flu before receiving the shot. And then I just may add one more thing, is that sometimes people will say, well, it was a, you know, I got the flu after receiving that flu shot, and just a couple days later, and I was throwing up everywhere, and I had the, you know, I was so sick to my stomach, and I had diarrhea, and I think there's also some confusion about stomach flu versus influenza. Right. Stomach flu or gastroenteritis. Right. So there is confusion there, and there isn't that separation of knowledge about that this is respiratory that we're talking about, not something that happens to the GI tract. Um, But we call them both flu at home. (laughs) Yes, we do here too. (laughs) (laughs) And that vaccine isn't going to help your GI tract type of illness. (laughs) That's right. So maybe also educating about the differences, so gastroenteritis versus actual influenza. Mm-hmm. And using those distinct terms may help um, alleviate some of the confusion. Is there anything else about the flu season that you'd like to share? Sure. Um, something new uh, this year, uh, it, the nasal spray vaccine is back. So it was gone last yay. year. But it is, yay! <laughs> um, so people who don't like shots and they're they're healthy, they're not pregnant, they're between 2 and 49 years old, um, those people can receive the nasal spray vaccine. There are a couple of contraindications. If they're allergic to any component in that intranasal vaccine, if they've ever had an allergy to a flu shot in the past, if they're immunocompromised, so that means they wouldn't be healthy, so they're, they're, it's not appropriate for that person. Right. If they're taking aspirin or salicylates um, consistently, children with asthma, but if you're interested in that, you can just check with your healthcare provider to see if this could be an option for you. In the United States, the FDA has approved the use of three neuroaminidase inhibitor antiviral drugs, and this is going to shorten the duration of the flu. You should see your healthcare provider for a prescription within two days of becoming ill. Again, the flu just lasts for two to five days anyway, but it can feel like a lifetime. Um, the meds are Tamiflu, uh, Rapavab, Relenza. Um, those are trade names, and there are some commonly reported side effects, and those are typically nausea and vomiting. Um, these are especially helpful for those who are at very high risk for suffering from complications related to the flu. So, again, those patients with maybe um, congestive heart failure or COPD. Um, there's another group of medications like things like amantadine and rimantadine that in the past we've used, but in the United States, these are not currently recommended because type A flu viruses are resistant to these drugs, and so and they're not effective for the type B flu viruses. Okay. okay we do have some options, though. So. Very good. Well, you have answered all of my questions, and you certainly have... Um, a great expertise in this area. The INS would like to extend our sincere gratitude to Emily for um, being with us today. Um, we appreciate your expertise and the opportunity to, to discuss the nurse's impact on management of influenza. This concludes today's session of Talking in Vain. Thank you so much for listening.